welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan, an Associate Professor of Medicine here at GW and Medical Director of the GW Center for Integrative Medicine. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today we have J.D. Talasic, Director of Cultural Programs at the National Academy of Sciences, or CPNAS, which explores the relationship between culture, science, engineering, and medicine. J.D. is also the creator and moderator for a monthly salon called DAZER, DC Arts Science Evening Rendezvous, held at the National Academy of Sciences as part of the Laser Network. He has served on the faculty at John Hopkins University in the Museum Studies Master's Program, and he also served on the Contemporary Art and Science Committee at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. He is the art advisor for Issues in Science and Technology magazine, a former board member of the Leonardo International Society for Art, Science, and Technology, and chair of the laser committee that coordinated 50-plus art and science salons around the world. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, J.D. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you to you both. I have to admit, I, I, I think I'm probably a very unusual guest for you. Uh, being from, uh, from the arts, I don't think that I'm uh, uh, the, the typical... Uh, medical guests that you might have, but I, I think uh, it's really wonderful that you would invite this conversation in. I think it's the spirit of of integration uh, that we look for different perspectives. So thank you again for having me. Well, well, don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, we've known each other for quite some time, and um, I think uh, in some way you're bigger healer than many doctors are, and. Um, on this podcast, JD, we interview actually quite a very broad array of different healthcare providers, and we don't really think that uh, one has to be a doctor to uh, be the healer. And yeah, so, I, but, but I think that's really the root of of what we both think of as integration. You think about integration from the standpoint of medicine, and I think about integration from the standpoint of uh, integrating uh, discussions across the disciplines. Uh, but that's really the, the heart of integration is you have to be willing to listen to another perspective and to take that perspective into account. Uh, and that's, I'm just letting you know, this is why I'm excited to be here uh, with you and uh, Janet uh, today. Well, you know, and it also makes me think of something really important. I think in medicine, not only the standard biomedical model seems is very reductionistic, but it also is very hierarchical. Often, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's this kind of a dogma that, okay, well, this is how it's done. This is what this is. And we often, indeed, physicians particularly, I would say, don't listen to the voices that are different or that are, you know, propo proposing something that may appear to be radical for a biomedical thought process, but from perspective of cultural or just from perspective of healing could be actually something critically important and, and it's not getting included. So I think that was one of the main reasons Janet and I thought that you would be great for this program because you uh, have led uh, NAS 
um, programs for a long time. And I think, um, I hope you tell us a little bit about this, but to me, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan of NAS because I feel like it's one of the few places you can trust in this crazy, crazy world we live in. Um, well, it's very funny because the former uh, president of the National Academy of Medicine, which falls under the umbrella of the three academies of science, engineering, medicine, Dr. Harvey Feinberg actually told me one time, my only job is to tell the truth. And yeah. ever since then, it, it I think about what he said every time I walk into my office and walk through you know this fantastic building, is that this is a, a very noble institution. And that's to say that the institution is perfect and it has its flaws like any institution. Uh, but but it's set up to tell the truth, and that, that's you know that is the goal um, uh, to to do that. And I think it's a very uh, you know a, a, a very wonderful place uh, to work for. And I, like you said, I have been here for a while. I've been uh, uh, within the office of um, the arts program, cultural programs, uh, for a little bit over twenty years now, and uh, it's it's really an exciting time uh, to think about. Um, the integration of art and science. Uh, but w what we're really talking about is, you know, the sort of the integration of, of, of ideals is very similar to, to what you're experiencing and talking about uh, in, in, in medicine. You talked about reductionism. Uh, and, you know, a, a reductionist approach has uh, offered up a lot of, of, of knowledge uh, because, uh, you know, it deepens our understanding. Uh, but where, as you were mentioning uh, at the beginning, it, where it becomes limiting is uh, when you start applying it to the real world and you start uh, introducing uh, this knowledge into, uh, you know, a complex system uh, that requires a much more holistic approach. And that's where you get into to problems. Uh, but you're asking about, you know, sort of the history of, of the arts program um, at the academy, which... Uh, uh, has over the past uh, few years kind of come into alignment and it has overlapped with a little bit of the work that the Academy does, which is to advise uh, the country and issues dealing with science. But um, I, I would say that the first um, uh, start of the arts program happened back in the 70s. And it was a very simple, like almost all of the, the arts programs within science institutions that we see uh, popping up around the world uh, at uh, research centers, uh, artist residencies and labs, uh, it, it almost always starts with a very sort of simple uh, thought. In, in this case, it was, you know, maybe we just put some nice things on the wall for people to see and enjoy when they walk into the building. I mean, There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just it's, it's making the place pretty. Uh, interior decoration, in a sense. And, uh, um, and I think that that was a little bit of the uh, initial ideal. But then as they started exhibiting uh, some artists like Kenneth Snelson and uh, uh, Harry Batoya, and some of these people were sort of, you know, overlapping into ideals that were coming out of psychology and, uh, you know, into, into uh, structure and, and all kinds of wonderful ideals that kind of overplayed. Uh, by the time I started uh, about 20 years ago, it, it came into this ideal, but there's so much, there's so many artists that are doing things with science. Maybe we should really look at exhibiting artists within the, within the building um, that have to do with, uh, you know, science and their, you know, maybe it, 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 on a simple level, they, they were thinking there's so many pretty science illustrations. Maybe we should, you know, do that. So that, that's kind of, uh, kind of went down that way, but we became aware of, 
is that there's a whole community of, of artists who are drawing on not just scientific imagery, but scientific ideals, scientific processes, uh, and integrating that into um, art, artistic uh, processes. So I already see this sort of integrative approach within uh, create, you know, creative practices of, of being open to, um, you know, uh, processes that are, are inspired by science. So that, that kind of gets worked in. So we, what we thought was we start experimenting with, with showing that and building the conversation around that as a way of, of, of reaching a, a new audience and starting a different type of conversation. So, but you kind of fast forward and as, you know, this, this sort of wheelhouse is happening around the world with the, the artist residencies and science labs and this sort of um, a conversation that's, that's starting up, it became so big that eventually uh, the Academy in 2018, they created a, a, a report out of our, our board on higher education. And the report uh, was entitled The Integration of Humanities and arts with science, engineering, and medicine in higher education. It was subtitled Branches from the Same Tree, which is the quote from uh, Albert Einstein, uh, that's all, all religions, arts, and sciences are branches from the same tree, which is, you know, exactly what you had mentioned earlier, Misha, about, uh, you know, the, it's the kind of the opposite of reductionism. Um, but there, there was a summary um, statement. There were several... Uh, 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 several summary statements, but one that has always uh, kind of rung true for me, and I actually have it here. I'd like to read it to you. It's from the study itself. It says, given that today's challenges and opportunities are at once technical and human, addressing them calls for the full range of human knowledge and creativity. Future professionals and citizens need to see when specialized approaches are valuable and when they are limiting finding synergies at the intersections between diverse fields, create and communicate novel solutions, and empathize with the experiences of others. I, I think that that's just amazing. That's like a call to action whenever I read it. And it seems, I, I imagine it uh, could actually be sort of the definition of the integrative medicine program in, in a way. But I mean, just uh, how, how very different and, and inclusive this is when we think about uh, the role of, of art uh, and, and, and at some point during our conversation, we can expand that to, you know, poetry, dance, uh, movement and, 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 uh, and other things. But uh, it's it, it, for, for our sort of personal history within the NAS, um, it, it's been very exciting to see us move from this sort of this simple ideal of the role of arts to this incredible, profound um, integrative, uh, integration of ideals to providing a new perspectives that could, you know, really influence the way that we, we do research, the way that we implement research, the way that we think about uh, policy and how we write policy. So there's a huge difference. But I think that that's, that's, I see this sort of progression happening in a lot of science centers um, and uh, in science institutions uh, around the world, I mean, even uh, CERN's, uh, uh, the you know the, the uh, collider has a artist residency program. You know, so uh, it's I think know, it's, it's definitely implemented. You know, I I, I reflect on this while I'm listening carefully. <laughs> Unfortunately, JD, I think, and I'm going to be skeptical here because I think I can, as it being an insider in the medicine at the <laughs> large academic center. 
I think, actually, I believe strongly that in sciences, this integration is occurring faster and on a much broader scale. And I think the medicine is lagging. And I think the main reason is not necessarily the lack of humane aspect in medicine or the fact that somehow faculty at institutions and students not interested. I think simply there is a practice, right? So there's this practical way we do business of medicine. And in that business of medicine, unfortunately, the arts and music just don't sit. You know, they're not commercially profitable. Uh, Most of the programs, when they're practically implemented, they end up being not cost-effective because you don't bill insurance or you don't have a patent on which you can make large dollar sums. And and that creates a tension right there. And I think, I, I thought for a while not to mention this. I was like, well, you know, you're going in such a wonderful direction of integration. And But I think we do have to speak about it. After all, mm-hmm. this podcast <laughs> is not the routine, typical podcast. I think we, we, we thought through it when we were designing it to really open it up and, and not being afraid of tensions like this, because after all, if we don't speak up, speak up about this, who will? So, you know, I want to pose a very difficult, challenging question for you. And I actually pose it to a lot of people. So in this strange times where it seemingly medicine becomes even more and more uh, compartmentalized and more uh, profit-driven, how do you see the arts can be a balancing act or how can it rather be used to really bring this core of um, human-centered medicine instead of business-centered medicine? Well, I think I think that's a, a really wonderful question, uh, Misha. And I, you know, just to kind of go back a little bit um, on what you're saying, I, I I certainly have an opinion myself as to how, um, you know, this this sort of integrative uh, uh, of, of art, music, and movement and poetry uh, could could help and impact uh, healthcare. Uh, but just, you know, to clearly state that I'm, I'm not a medical professional, I'm not on the inside, you are, and I appreciate the question, uh, but I, my response is going to be from from my perspective of, of somebody who's been in the arts, who has been looking at the way that these uh, programs are, are being, uh, you know, implemented and tested. Um, I, you know, I think if you, if you go to the practitioners uh, who have been doing, um, you know, let's say art therapy or, or movement therapies through dance, uh, uh, arts for the for the aging here in DC being one example. Um, the, these are these are people that, from their practice, they intuitively know that what they're doing is benefiting the people that they're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they don't have to have evidence. They don't have to have proof. Um, and that was actually one of the questions that came up uh, within the consensus studies, the branches uh, from the same tree, um, is that, you know, ev- even within the sciences, and yeah, I think that things are sort of uh, taking hold at a little different rate. Um, but I, th- I think one of the, you know, it's a statement of fact is, is where we are, is that we don't have enough studies 
uh, to, to have any sort of empirical evidence as to these sort of treatments um, or processes of being effective. Uh, it's, it's primarily anecdotal. Um, and so, especially if you're trying to prescribe, um, you know, some sort of social activity or, or, or musical activity or artistic activity, there, there is no protocols. And one of the, you know, one of the recommendations that came out of this studies is that we need, you know, there, there's potential here and we need to acknowledge that potential and we need to create, um, you know, space and funding to have these types of um, you know, activities occur for a long enough period to where we can actually gather some data and understand, you know, sort of collectively uh, what is going on. But I, you know, the, the fact that the people who implement these and do these do it uh, because they intuitively see that they're helping people um, is, is probably the same thing that kind of makes, uh, uh, you know, the higher ups a little nervous, <laughs> I would say. But, you know, it's like, uh, like the, the, uh, uh, beginning of October, there's going to be uh, the Sound Health event at the mm -hmm. Kennedy Center, right. Center, and this is mm -hmm. something that the NIH and the um, uh, National Endowment for the Arts uh, both supported uh, with a large sum of money uh, to help uh, to, to look at this and, lo and look at the research and to kind of treat it um, as as a serious. Uh, uh, area of investigation, and 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 that's that's very much in, in in agreement with what the academy's report said that we, you know, we need, you know, there's 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 potential here. It's fertile ground for exploration. We we need to fund enough of these so that we can get a better idea of what, uh, you know, what it is that we're doing, how we could better implement it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that's. Let me just pause there, Misha. I mean, what, what, what? How does that sound to your ears as a medical professional? Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't actually, <laughs> I didn't expect you to give an answer. I, I think, I think, um, the point here is we have to be aware of this topic, and I think we, you're absolutely right. People who are in it doing this good work, they don't ask questions; they're just serving people, and and that's the counterpart versus, uh, uh, you know, kind of the the system itself that is trying to make a profit and all of the people who are in the system primarily for making a profit, you know, and, and, and the whole well, enterprise. I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you the last group of people that you want to go to, to look for making a profit is, uh, is us artists because we're exactly. notoriously poor. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Anyway, let's switch the gears. Um, so you, um, founded the Dazer, um, DC art science evening rendezvous. Uh, which became huge, hugely successful. It's not just in U.S. now, but it's in, in several parts of the world. Uh, but walk us through what motivated you to create this, and 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 tell tell our listeners what it actually is. And and you know, I love the fact that the, this program brings these different ideas and then merges them, and then has some magic comes out of each each one of those. So. Tell us, tell us in, in, give us a little bit of details on this, uh, especially, you know, where are we now since the pandemic? And of course, Dazer is all virtual now. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's virtual and it's also evolved. And uh, so, so let me just start back to the beginning. I mean, a, a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the history of the arts program and it, it, the, the seed of the ideal came out of the exhibits that we were uh, hosting or that we at the point 
you know, maybe we weren't able to, maybe we didn't have the budget or we didn't have the space or logistically it just wasn't practical, but there were so many incredible things that were coming out of the art and science communities, um, that I want it to reflect in the program. And my thought was, well, you know what, if we, if we can't actually show the artwork, if we can't actually host it here, we can create a venue to talk about it. So that was just the simple seed of this. And this was over 10 years ago. Um, and what we found is that by, by bringing this in, these uh, experts and, and it, the, the, the original formula was pretty simple. We had, they were almost a little like Ted talks. You had four people from very different backgrounds, at least, you know, one artist, one scientist, practitioners, people who were actually, you know, do, doing work, um, have them come in, talk about their work for five to 10 minutes and then have a conversation. And this was incredibly powerful. Just getting people from different walks of life to come together and set uh, and, and speak a lot like we're speaking now and just in everyday language and get used to the speak community, the speech community of the other, of the other uh, community, of the science community or the art community. And it, it was it, so many times, you know, people would be... Uh, uh, you know, sort of arguing about something. And then they'd say, you know what, this, you're using words this way. And I mean this when I say that, and it, it just became like just talking in a casual conversation and bringing up these, these miscommunications, you, you start to bring an understanding to it. And now, you know, why is that important? Because creating empathy, you know, when you're collaborating, when you're integrating, having respect for what other person is doing requires uh, an understanding of what they're doing and, 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 and the creation of empathy. And then once you have that, even if you don't have the exact same goals within a, you know, a project or a collaboration, then you, you at least have an understanding of, of how everybody's uh, coming uh, together at, at that meeting. So, you know, we did this for 10 years and they were, they were incredibly popular. They were uh, attended by the public. Uh, they were attended by, um, you know, the universities. We really tried to cultivate uh, a community with universities. Uh, Gallaudet university uh, has an art uh, and technology lab. Uh, and so we, you know, we brought in uh, sign interpreters uh, and, uh, and sort of served uh, the, the deaf community uh, in, in, in that area. And, um, you know, it's just, it was a really wonderful thing. So this was the other secret is that in order to have these sort of conversations take root, it was developed as the antithesis to the annual conference. You know, almost all the professional organizations have a, have a conference. People, you know, they get together once a year and then they go about uh, their regular thing. But we tried to do these almost every month. And the reason that that was uh, important is because you have to have the conversation continue if you hope to have people meet and potentially collaborate. It, you know, you know this in social media when you do these podcasts. You, if you don't do podcasts on a regular basis, you you lose your audience. And and so that was just sort of a very pragmatic thing that we did uh, with Dazer, probably slightly before social media was uh, you know the big thing that it is now. Uh, we realized you have to uh, you know offer this community a, a place to meet well and then fast forward uh, you know to 2020 when we all decided we weren't going to meet in public uh, because of the pandemic and uh, 
we had to change. And we, you know, we, we were very concerned about doing this online because so much of just the, the communal aspect of Dazers uh, was important to us. Um, and so it's we, about we people being to being able to walk up to each other and talk about, you know, what the whole entire program was about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was about, you know, the, you talk about the scientists and you talk about the artists, you're talking about humans. <laughs> and it's hard mm-hmm. to deny that when you're looking somebody in the eye and you're, you know, you're, you're having this, uh, thing. so, you know, that, that's, that's really the important thing about, you know, all of this is remembering that this is all, uh, you know, a human endeavor and it is especially true when you're talking about medicine, right? Because it's, it's about healing the human and it's about being there for each other and to, to be, be mindful of each other. Um, so how did, how did COVID and being in quarantine and even after we were allowed to come out of quarantine, how has that impacted the Dazer program? Well, we have we have not yet gone back into physical spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things that we learned um, while we were online is, al- although you you don't have the human connection online, what you do have is you have an international access that people at any ah, point yes. can, can sort of like, you know, just drop into uh, a, a conversation. And so one of the things that we were never able to do with the Dazers, we're now able to do online. And that is we we wanted it to be more than just a social interaction. We wanted people to meet on that level so that they could start forming collaborations. And so what we're able to do now is we're starting what we're calling Dazer 2.0 or our wonder workshops. And we, we, we wonder about certain things that we would like to do. Um, like for example, to tie it back into, to medicine, we had done a, a project with the CDC foundation when they were funding artists who were doing, um, uh, vaccine confidence within their communities, vaccine confidence building within their communities. And so what we started to do is we have this sort of regular place where people who are part of that community and part of that conversation uh, can meet and they're online. And it's not, it's not, these aren't public facing conversations. They're really for the stakeholders. Uh, but um, it's, it's really amazing. If you think about, uh, you know, in, in this case, the, the uh, vaccine confidence, and I'm just, you know, using this as one of several that we're uh, working on right now, but, uh, because it ties in with medicine, it might be worth uh, mentioning. But um, you know, it's the it's the idea that um, when you when you're working with artists and they go into a community, they create this sort of safe space for people to to talk about. And it's you know, I, I think maybe you know there's some hope that you know this would actually just you know you could you could judge the success of this by saying okay, well we got. X number of more people uh, vaccinated, but it, it actually goes deeper than that. It's creating a space where if you're listening, you can understand why people don't have confidence in the vaccine. Um, not, you know, not that that's going to be an easy answer, but at least you're creating um, some, some empathy around um, people and their decisions. But, you know, it might be misinformation. It may be, you know, some uh, deep cultural uh, uh, biases, um, but it, it, it doesn't matter. It's very real to the person who, who doesn't want to get vaccinated. Um, so um, 
this is this is kind of what the Dazers have kind of turned into. And then um, I think starting uh, later this year in 2022, uh, we're going to be able to to move back into some variation of the Dazer. But I think it's going to it's going to kind of come back and, and bring some of these uh, events uh, back on. In fact, um, I was mentioning um, uh, earlier before uh, we started the recording, uh, we're, we're hosting a, uh, a poetry reading. Uh, at the academy, and um, we uh, will have uh, uh, a poetry uh, center from Kent University uh, will come, and it's based upon their book of poetry called Dear Vaccine, and we heard about this through uh, our our Dazer uh, event uh, with the uh, Vaccine Confidence, and what you know what what they're basically going to do is is they're going to read uh, from this book of poetry, and these are poems that. Uh, the average person wrote in some, you know, poets wrote in uh, everyday people all over the world. They wrote in poetry that they wrote to the vaccine. And if you can just imagine how healing that was, um, you very know, therapeutic. The, yeah, very therapeutic. Yeah. And, and JD, <laughs> before the podcast, Janet and I were talking, we said, he has to read some poetry to us because I love hearing your voice. So give us a sample. Give our well, you know, it's very funny because the I just happened to have in front of me as if I was waiting for a cue, um, a, a poem. <laughs> so what they what they did the uh, this is uh, from Dear Vaccine, and this was the poem that kicked everything off. Um, it, it, let me just say that it's the Wick Poetry Center at Kent State University and the University of Arizona uh, Poetry Center. Um, they, they basically invited uh, people to write the poem, but they first they started with a catalyst poem uh, by Naomi Shahib Nye, who is the Young People's Poet Laureate uh, from the Poetry Foundation. And so, excuse me. And so this is. Um, Naomi's poem uh, that initiated all these other people writing in. And Naomi's poem is Dear Vaccine. Save us, Dear Vaccine. Take us seriously. We had plans. We were going places. Children in kindergarten. So many voices in chorus. Give us our world again. Tiny gleaming vials enter our cities and towns, shining your light. Restore us to each other. We liked our, our lives. Maybe we didn't think them enough. Being able to cross streets with people we didn't know, pressing elevator buttons, smiling at strangers, standing in line to pay. We liked standing in line more than we pretended. It's a quick prick in the arm. You'll barely notice it. It's the gas in the car getting us going again. It's the turn in the road. Face-to-face -face conversation someday soon. It's the hug. Forever. It's the hug. Vaccine. Please make the air clean. We went to yoga classes. Deep collective breathing in a small rooms and cities where we didn't even live. How brave we were. Vaccine, please restore our lives. Believe they were beautiful. Wow. It's very emotional, isn't it? It's it's very emotional. And, you know, it hits so many points in, in such a soul-touching way. Um, 
you know, I think this is like when 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 I practice medicine, some of the most important moments that I remember, some of the most soul opening experiences, they're always around this aha moment, this kind of a all moment of um, seeing transcendent through the whatever the circumstances are and there's always some poetic component to that and i think i think i just love that the programs like yours are really pushing us to go to the edge of this and say look this is important this is not like some afterthought or oh it's just some tree hugging nonsense it actually should be the part of the center of the every healthcare encounter it's just we you know, I always tell my students, we forget the tree, we forget the forest behind the trees. But when we do remember it, it makes our practice so fulfilling. And really, that's what keeps <laughs> keeps us working despite low salaries. I was going to joke. But well, that's actually, that's not far from the truth, actually. You know, I think some of us are really doing it this way, staying, doing it this way, no matter how much or how little we get paid. So anyway, but, sorry. But, you know, the, but, no, no, but it goes it goes back to the exact same the, the exact first question that you asked is, you know, what is the role of this? This is something that we often give uh lip service to, especially when you think about medicine, but how how very basic, you know, the spoken word is and and poetry. And you know, I, I know that you have a, a meditation practice uh in in a Sufi meditation practice. You know, so much of what I've learned from you is just, you know, the, the idea of movement as meditation. Um, this, this, there's no way that this cannot impact our health um, and, and just help us think about it, it differently. I mean, I, I think about, you know, the, how successful getting people into the gym is, but that, that reinstates sort of the, the idea that you had before. There was a there's a financial model available for gyms. Gyms make money, and you can get people to go to the gym. But you know there's there's no there's no money involved in in just realizing and empowering people to say, you know, just you know, do your do a meditation movement, you know, uh, just dance around your house, um, go to a poetry reading, and you know, you think about the you know the health benefits of this. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what's now. Where do you think we're going? Uh, or, you know, and, and I think maybe particularly, where do you think the NAS program is going that you're leading into the future? Uh, what are the some maybe immediate prospects that you're excited about and some that are a bit more distant? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I, I think that... Um, you know, it's actually one of the things that, you know, we learned from our, our, our friends in the humanities who write science fiction uh, that, you know, so many stories about the future, uh, you know, science and medicine, they're, they're not always good at predicting the future, or at least they're not comfortable in stating it. And whereas, you know, imagining the future is, is kind of what, um, you know, artists and writers do, you know, they help us sort of, you know, create these scenarios um, I mean, if you, if you really think about it, all, all the zombie movies were actually uh, test beds to think about, <laughs> you know, contagion and what happens if uh, if that breaks out, what happens when systems start breaking down. Uh, but, you know, that's that's I think that's the role of the artist is like where it's not just about medicine, but we're also talking about, you know, the infrastructure. We're talking about 
uh, the way our cities are designed. We're talking about uh, all that, it, which is exactly what you talk about within integrative medicine, because you're not just concerned about medicine. You're concerned about the, uh, you know, where where they go to school, where, where your patients uh, get their food, you know, food equity being uh, major. Um, you know, how, what, what, you know, what kind of safe city are we building around these? These all impact medicine, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it impacts healthcare. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, creating these spaces where, and our, I, I joked when we did this, uh, uh, this report on um, uh, integration of art and humanities, because the, there was no other uh, academy report uh, that had so many artists, you know, on the committee. And uh, as a result, everybody who reviewed the report said, this is probably one of the best written reports we've ever had. And I, I sort of made a joke at that point. Um, yeah, I, I, I would like to see at least one artist and poet on every science committee moving forward. And of course, they're like, oh, that, you know, that'll never happen. But I think there's a logic to it. I think when you have someone, whether you want to call them a poet or an artist, when you have somebody that's always reminding us of our connection to humanities, like, you know, like the quote I, I read earlier from the, uh, the, uh, our problems are both technical and human. Um, I, I think, um, I think we, we probably have enough scientific knowledge and medical knowledge to cure a lot of the ailments, um, that we see. Uh, but do we have the ability um, to connect uh, with our patients, uh, with our, our neighbors, in a way that we can actually implement that knowledge. And I think if, if I were to say a big dream is, you know, we have so much knowledge, we have so much understanding, you know, we, we know what kind of state the environmental, uh, um, you know, uh, state of the world is in. Um, if we can work with artists and uh, people in the humanities to help us imagine working together towards solutions uh, in, in the bigger problems. I, I think that that would be an amazing, amazing gift. JD, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, first of all, I would like to say thank you for this uh, wonderful conversation. Um, and, and I just would encourage uh, our listeners uh, to maybe do a little research, go online, um, look at sort of the, the health benefits of, of um, uh, music and, and dance and, and art. Um, and I think you'll, you'll see a lot just, to, you know, going through a Google. Uh, but to think about it critically and, and, and maybe implement um, something in your life, something that would uh, enrich your own life. Uh, ultimately, uh, if anything that Misha and I and Janet have said is uh, uh, true, then it, it could make you a healthier person. Well said. Well said. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, JD. Thanks for having me. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. The Office of Integrative Medicine and Health produces the GW Integrative Medicine podcast with funds from your donations. Your generosity allows us to raise awareness of the benefits of integrating whole person care, including evidence-based complementary therapies, into healthcare broadly.
Help us continue to grow the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, smhs.gwu.edu slash OIMH. Click the Give Now button on the left. While you're there, sign up for our free monthly newsletter for even more evidence-based content, including free webinars.